Thank you. Good to see you this morning. I want to read a little book from the, a bit from the book of Philemon. If you'll turn over there, it's sure a pleasant uh, thing to be here today, a blessing. And uh, I have, as the preacher mentioned, been with him in a few meetings, got to know him somewhat and appreciate him. And then I appreciated the service this morning. The choir did a wonderful job and enjoyed the good singing, the picking. I felt right at home in the middle of that picking. Amen. That, where's that boy pick that five string? Where'd he go? Amen. Amen. I enjoyed that. All of that was good. And the good Sunday school hour, that fella got going in Sunday school, and I thought maybe I'd just sit down and let him preach this morning because that was good. That spoke to my heart. And I just appreciate the goodness of the Lord. And uh, I have an extra tie with me this morning if anybody needs one. Uh, I put my jacket on. It was hanging on a hanger in the van. When I put it on, there was a tie hanging on. It got caught in my sleeve and was hanging out the back of my suit when I came in this morning. And uh, Sherry caught me. One of the ladies said she thought I was starting a new fad. But, uh, so I don't know. I've got an extra one if anyone needs one, just in case. But uh, we'll spend a few moments in the Word of God this morning. And uh, I want you to notice in the book of Philemon, something that Paul does He'll actually do it four times. He'll repeat himself once. But I want you to notice in verse 1, the Bible said, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved, and then watch this, and fellow laborer. Then in verse 2, he'll say, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, and he'll do this again. He'll vary it a little bit. Our fellow soldier. And to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then look over at the end of the book and in verse 22, But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute the Epaphras, and here he'll do it again, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. And then he'll repeat himself in verse 24, Marcus Aristarchus, Demas Locus, my fellow laborers. Paul has a habit in the Bible of taking the word fellowship, dropping the ship off the end and adding something in. We saw it here in this passage. He deals with fellow laborers, fellow soldiers, and fellow prisoners. He will also talk about fellow workers. He'll talk about fellow heirs, several different ones, fellow citizens. He'll use that, that little uh, formula throughout his writings. I'm interested in one of them this morning. This is the weekend, really, we're uh, thinking about Veterans Day and our veterans. So I've got soldiers on my mind. And I want to preach a little bit on this, little, this word that Paul uses in verse 2. Let me read it to you again. To our beloved Appia and Archippus, and watch this now, our fellow soldier and to the church in thy house. I want to talk about those fellow soldiers for a little while this morning. We'll preach and ask the Lord to help us, and uh, we certainly are in need of his help today. So let's pray and ask him about it. Father, we sure do love you today because you first loved us. You've been a great God and a precious Savior and a wonderful Lord to us, and we're thankful today, Lord. I'm thankful for your saving me and for keeping me. Thankful for your many blessings in my life, for the sweet Holy Spirit. Thank you I can be assembled together with the saints of God today. We thank you for all our hearts have already felt. And now, Lord, in the time of preaching, I'm greatly in need of thy help. I pray for the touch of God, and I pray you'll help your children. And most of all, Lord, I pray you'll get glory unto yourself. And I ask it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you. And you can be seated. Now, we're not going to necessarily go verse by verse this morning. I just have this thought on my mind about being a fellow soldier. When you think about what a Christian is today and think about how you would describe somebody who saves, somebody who's a Christian. I remember reading Charles Spurgeon one day and he said that sometimes uh, we think of Christians as somebody with a remarkably delicate taste. And the idea is they have a taste for certain things. They like to hear certain things in the church. They like the church service to be just a certain way. If there's not the right music or not the right preaching or not the right handshake, they're not happy. They're delicate in their taste. And then he said that sometimes we think of Christians like a spiritual gourmet. They come to the house of God like it is a smorgasbord and they're just gathering in, you know, getting a little bit of this and Boy, I like that. I'd like to have a little more of that. That didn't taste very good. I'll kind of leave that alone. He said, sometimes we think of a Christian as a student and all Christianity is to them is learning more. And I, I think you ought to learn all you can. I love to study. I love to read. I love books. But a lot of time, if that's all it is, just study and just getting more and getting more, that's not really, you can go to college and do that. You can be lost and die without God and do that. Sometimes we think of an ideal uh, Christian or think of a Christian as a man who's just kind of settled down and sort of sleepingly going through life because God, after all, God saved him, you know, and he's saved by grace and he's kept by grace and he can never lose his salvation. So he's just kind of drifting through life, you know, like that. But when Paul thinks about a Christian, here's what Paul said. He said, endure hardness as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul thinks about a Christian, he doesn't see somebody sitting just at a banqueting table. He doesn't see somebody sitting with just a book unfolded in their hand. He sees somebody standing at attention with their sword girt on their side, looking toward the general and the captain and the commander and looking for some orders to get into the battle and fight the battle. I'm thinking about Veterans Day and I know I'm sure we have veterans in the auditorium this morning. I want to say thank God for you. Thank God for those veterans that have risked their lives so we can have what we have today. I'm not for this, hey, uh, can I just throw this in? It's not in the message, but I'm not, I don't think much of this crowd that spits on our soldiers. I don't think much of this crowd that, uh, that uh, 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 goes around and calls them names and calls them murderers and all that stuff. I thank God for soldiers who have fought for our liberty and the reason we're here this morning is because somebody risked their lives and shed their blood so that we could have this liberty and freedom. I thank God for you this morning. I want to thank you for serving. So Paul's talking about a Christian and he's talking about us as uh, being soldiers. Now, Paul knew a lot about soldiers. I was thinking about the interactions that he'd had with soldiers. He was arrested by soldiers. So he knew something about their authority. He was chained to soldiers when he's in the house in the prison. Uh, on a time or two, or at least one occasion, soldiers obeyed his commands. Uh, he was also protected by soldiers. And when you read what he has to say in the scripture, he'll talk about the fact that we have armor. We're to take the whole armor of God like a soldier. He'll tell that we have a name. He'll charge us to war a good warfare. He'll warn us about adversaries. We have enemies in this battle. The world, the flesh, and the devil. But he'll also tell us that we have allies in this battle. We have the Savior that saved us. We have the sweet Holy Ghost and God the Father seated upon the throne. So I want to think about soldiers for a minute. I have three simple things to say 
to you. But I want to say them in the context of this word that Paul uses. Because Paul in, in the book of Philemon does not just say soldier. He says this, fellow soldier. I was trying to figure out what he's meaning by fellow soldier. I looked it up in the original Greek. I'm not much on those original languages, but I have a Strong's concordance, amen. And I looked it up and Mr. Strong said it means a co-campaigner. And so when the soldiers would go out to fight the battle, they'd have someone with them. And when Paul is emphasizing this, think about Paul speaking to this archipus. I'll talk about this a little later, but it's on my heart right now and I can't hardly wait to get to it. Well, think about the great general Paul saying to Archippus, who has a little, whole, a little church in the house and calling him a fellow soldier. It'd be like John MacArthur looking at one of us and saying, hey, you know what? We're in the same battle. We're fighting the same war. We're on the same level. Think about how'd you feel, how you would feel if the apostle Paul said to you, we're fellow soldiers in the battle. So Paul mentions this to this young man and talks to him as a fellow soldier. Now, when I think about being a fellow soldier and I'm thinking about not only fighting the battle, but I'm thinking about the people I fight the battle with, I think of three things. The first thing I think is this. There has someone, a fellow soldier, who has gone before me. There are fellow soldiers that have fought the battle before I ever showed up on the scene. You say, well, preacher, I'm fighting a battle. Well, remember, somebody else has already fought that battle. I thought about this. First of all, the captain of our salvation has already fought the battle. As a matter of fact, he not only fought it, he won it. He fought the battle you weren't able to fight and won the battle you were not able to win. He shed his own blood on the cross of Calvary and paid for your sin so that you could be a, you could be a soldier in his army. Thank God for Jesus who died on the cross. He fought the battle. He fought a good fight. Amen. He went to the cross and paid for my sin and for your sin. I, I remember in the book of Joshua, Joshua standing outside the city Jericho, that walled city, probably wondering how in the world he's ever going to get inside of there. And all of a sudden he looks and there's a man standing with his sword drawn. Joshua runs over, you remember? And he says this to him. He said, art thou for us? or art thou for us or for our adversaries? And the captain of the Lord of hosts, here's what he said, it was Jesus. He said, nay, but as captain of the Lord of hosts, am I now come? One of my old preacher friends put it this way. He said, Joshua said, are you for us or are you for them? And Jesus said, I didn't come to take sides, I came to take over. And I'll tell you, that's what Jesus did. He led us in the battle and won the victory for us. I was reading about an old Roman, a Roman soldier. He was, the, they called him the emperor soldier. He was, his name was Trajan and he was the emperor of Rome, but he was also a great soldier and he would lead his battles into troops, his troops into battle and fight the war with them. And I was reading and they said about this of Trajan. They said when, when a, a warrior, a soldier would be wounded, Trajan would rend his own clothes and remove them and bind the soldier's womb. His soldiers loved him. He would tear off the things that marked him as being a captain and bind up their wombs. When I read that, I thought about Jesus. My wounds were bound up, but he didn't just rend his clothes. He let them rend his body. They nailed him to a tree. They mocked him. They scourged him. He shed his own blood. And because of that blood, my wounds are healed. Because of that blood, my sins are taken away. How can I not be faithful in the soldiering in the army when I think about Christ? There'd been a great captain that's gone before us. 
our precious Lord Jesus. That ought to be enough to make us want to be faithful. That ought to be enough to make us want to stay in the fight. How could we be so unthankful as to not serve Christ after all that he has done for us? And so we have our great captain who's gone before us. But we also have, according to Hebrews chapter number 12, a great cloud of witnesses. The Bible said, wherefore we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness. Seeing we are compassed about so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We have a great crowd of witnesses, cloud of witnesses that have gone before. You think about it. You think back, you have grandmas and grandpas that served God. I don't know how long this church has been here. I don't know how long it's been in existence, but I preached uh, last Sunday. I'm thinking it was, no, two Sundays ago, I preached in the Wahoo Baptist Church down in Murrayville, Georgia, the 199th anniversary of the Wahoo Baptist Church. You said, preacher, where in the world does Wahoo come from? That's what I wondered. It's a Cherokee word for elm, I believe is what the name of it is. And with Brother Stroud down there, 199 years, Shubal Stearns, how that started a great revival and after the great awakening and some of those men that he sent out and two young men walked from North Carolina, from Asheville, North Carolina. Two young men walked with their clothes on their back, all the clothes they had, everything they owned on their back and walked from uh, Asheville, North Carolina down to Wahoo, down there to Murrayville and started that church right on the edge of Indian country there and 199 years, it's still going on. We walked up in that graveyard and walked around and saw the grave of the man that was the first pastor of the church and I couldn't help but thinking somebody just ought to go ahead and be faithful. Somebody else ought to go ahead and serve God because there's the, uh, there's the bones of them laying in the graveyard like Joseph's bones back in Egypt, uh, reminding us, reminding us, somebody paid a price, somebody lived for God. You ought to go ahead and live for God. I thought about those that have gone on before, those that have, those that have paid the price. I thought about a man named John Brown. I studied in one day the Scottish Covenanters. John Brown was a preacher during the days when the Scottish Covenanters, they were Baptists, really was what they were, but the state church over in Scotland was hounding them and persecuting them. They couldn't meet in a building like this. They were outlawed. They had to meet in a barn. They had to meet out in the woods because if they were caught, they'd be immediately put to death. And somebody, somebody, John Brown came home to visit his wife Molly and his children and somebody turned him in. Some, some uh, Judas somewhere uh, turned him in and so the dragoons surrounded his house and they came in and they captured John Brown. And there right by the house, they gathered his wife and his family and they told John Brown, that sergeant of the dragoons said, said, you're sentenced to die, you're gonna be executed. And he told those men to raise their muskets and John Brown got on his knees and began to pray. He prayed for revival in Scotland. He prayed for the souls of those men with those muskets. And when the captain told them to fire, they were all under conviction and none of them would shoot. So that captain pulled his pistol from his belt and put it to John Brown's head. And killed him there in front of his wife and his children. He turned to Molly Brown and said, what do you think you find husband now? She said, I think more of him now than I've ever felt of him since I met him. They cut off his head and put it on a spike, a place they called the nether bowl at the entering into the city to try and scare people and frighten people from serving God. I'm telling you, friend, we've got some folks that have gone on before us who stayed by the stuff. We have some independent Baptists who died for their faith in the Lord and for the word of God. We ought to just be faithful. We ought to just go on. 
I'm thinking this morning of a dear old soldier in the Lord by uh, a dear old soldier by the name of Billy Kelly. I'm thinking about a dear old soldier by the name of John Jackson. When I was down, the first time I came down into this part of the country, I met John Jackson. Some of you may know him or may have known him. He's a great old evangelist, preached all over the world on the radio. I remember he'd come in, he'd be humped over, and it always seemed like his suit coat was a couple sizes too big. And he'd walk up, and he had an unusual way of speaking. And I walked into the Calvary Baptist Church in Cocoa, Florida, and I was holding my two-year-old daughter, Rachel. Brother John Jackson walked up, and he said, Brother Brian, is that your little girl? I said, yes, sir, that's her. This is Rachel. Before I could say a word, he laid one hand on her head and lifted one hand toward heaven. He said, oh, dear God, bless this little girl. Oh, dear God, one day, oh, one day save her soul. Oh, dear God, one day use her in the ministry. I'm gonna tell you, say, preacher, where's Rachel now? Uh, she's probably helping her husband, the associate pastor of the church at Pax Branch Baptist Church. She's probably helping him teach the young people there in the junior church. I'm saying thank God for those old soldiers that stayed true to the Lord. Let's stay true to God. Somebody's gone before you. I see my dear friend, Brother Steve Goolsby and his wife here, one of my dear friends, and his daddy's my hero. Brother Billy Goolsby, my hero. I go down there and preach at the Rome Baptist Temple and I get ready to preach and Brother Goolsby be sitting about where this fellow's sitting a little closer. I get ready to preach and he'll start praying. Oh man, he'll start praying behind me. I hear him praying. He'll be saying, oh God, put it on him. Oh God, bless him. I tell you, I feel like I could preach a devil out right into hell when I hear that man of God calling on, will be faithful? Somebody's gone on before. There's somebody before us. We better be faithful in the battle. Fellow soldiers. Not only is there somebody before us, but there's somebody beside us in this battle. Somebody with us. We have the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Our comforter. He's not just beside us, he's in us if we're saved. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Paul said, what, know you not? Your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Wherefore, glorify God in your body. You're led of the spirit of God. They are the sons of God. And he leads us and he guides us along. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Does he lead you? Does he speak to you in your heart? Does he give you instruction? Does he bring to your remembrance as the Bible said, as Jesus said he would, does he bring your remembrance, the word of God and the things that you've studied? Thank God we're not in the battle alone. We have a comforter. One little fellow went to church. His mama was sick. He come home and she wanted to know if he'd been listening to the sermon. She said, what did the preacher preach about? He said he preached about a blanket. She said, a blanket? He said he preached that Jesus went away, but he left us a blanket. She said, are you sure he said blanket? She said, well, he might have said comforter. <laughs> That's what the Holy Ghost does. He comforts us. Hallelujah, wraps, around, wraps his arms around us in our time of trouble and gives us comfort. Hallelujah. We ought to be faithful in the battle because of him. But we not only have the comforter beside us, we have our comrades. We have our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
The Bible said, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You're not above being tempted, neither am I. Thank God for good men of God down through the uh, years, friends of mine who would say to me, now I'm praying for you. I, have, I, get, I get these texts on Sunday morning uh, from people all over praying for me, say, I'm praying for you. I remember one time I was a little discouraged. I had a, I had a bus. If you've got a bus, it'll discourage you. And I had a bus and I'd had all kind of trouble with it and had been in two or three shops at a, a, in, right in a row and a whole bunch of money had been spent and I was getting ready on a Sunday morning. I was supposed to go preach. i tell you what, I did not feel like preaching. And I didn't even want to go to church to tell you the honest truth of it. And I heard my phone buzz and I went over there and somebody left me a message and I, I, hit, the, I hit the little button on it and this voice said, and I'm going to tell it to you just like it was on the phone. He said, Brother McBride. That's just the way it sounds. Brother McBride. Said, I've been praying for you today. That's just the way it sounds. I've been praying for you today. Said, I've been praying that you have the uh, wisdom of the owl, that you have the side of the eagle that you fly above the problems of the Holy Ghost and on and on he went. It was a, a preacher friend of mine out from Iowa, uh, Washington, Iowa was praying for me that morning. I'm going to tell you when he got done, I felt like preaching. Thank God for our comrades in the battle. You know what? We ought to consider one another. That's what the Bible said to provoke unto love and to good works. We ought not be criticizing each other. Or be considering one another. Or be helping one another. You see somebody struggling along, you ought to encourage them. You ought to say, hey, I'm praying for you. So just tell them sometime, if you've been where they're at, tell them that. Say, I've been there and God was faithful and God was good. You see that, you see they need their help. You tell them, pray for them, but then tell them you've been praying for them. Here's what you ought to do. Talk to God about them and then talk to them about it. Amen. We got enough gossip, we got enough rumors, we got enough criticism, we got enough running down, enough tearing down. We ought to be edifying and building one another up. Who did you build up in the word of God this week? Who did you help along their journey? I don't know about you, but I need a lot of help. I need a lot of help. I need a lot of encouragement. My old flesh wants to get discouraged sometime. But boy, God's people come by. They'll say something about this. They'll say, well, I've been praying for you. I've been, I've been noticing it. You know, it's something just to be noticed. I remember one time I was pastoring a church and uh, this fella come by the church and uh, come by my house. He said, I want to talk to you a little bit. So he came and he got in and he sat down and he's having trouble and he started talking to me. And he talked to me and so he, he'd tell me about all his troubles and I, I'd look at him and I'd say, my, 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 my. And he'd keep talking and I said, what about that? And he kept talking about, mm, 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 mm. And he kept talking, and I went, my, oh, my, oh, my. He talked on, I said, what about that? He went on, I said, mm, 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 three hours, three hours. We got done, he looked at me, said, oh, preacher, thank you. You've helped me so much. I appreciate your advice. All I ever said was, my, oh, my, what about that? Mm, 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 mm. All he needed was somebody that would listen. All he needed was somebody that would take notice. You remember what God said to, to Moses when he's going to bring Israel out? He said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. If you just tell somebody, just speak to somebody, I say, hey, I'm praying for you. I was reading a book by a man named Gary Enrig on the book of Judges. And he said this, he called the book the hearts of iron and feet of clay. 
And he said two soldiers were down in World War I. They'd been through, they'd been friends all through school and they'd enlisted together and they'd been through basic training together and they got deployed together. He said they were in a trench in the middle of, in the middle of World War I. And there was that long deadly space in between those trenches where the Germans were and where they were and the Germans had the machine guns set up over there. They ordered a charge and those men came up out of those trenches and most of them were cut down and one of those friends was wounded and the other one got back to the trench when they sounded the retreat. And he's down there in the trench and he said he could hear his friend crying and begging for help out halfway across there. And he looked at his sergeant and his sergeant said, you can't move, you can't go. But it was all he could take. And he jumped up out of that trench and he ran up there and he grabbed that boy and he dragged him back. And he was mortally wounded on the way and he, fought, he fell back into that trench, his friend now dead and himself mortally wounded. And the sergeant looked at him and said, what a waste. Was it worth it? He said, sergeant, before he died, he said, sergeant, it was worth it. He said, the last words he said to me when I grabbed him were, I knew you'd come. I knew you'd come. I want to tell you something. I want to be that kind of a friend. I want to be that kind of a Christian brother. I want to be that kind of a preacher. When there's a need, I want to come. We want to take into account those that are beside us. But then let me say this and I'll be done. Someone's gone before us in the battle. Someone is beside us in the battle. But you listen to me. Someone's coming behind us. Somebody's coming after us. You know, it's easier to hold ground than it is to gain ground. You and I need to hold. I thought about these fellas down here on this front row. We better hold some ground. What are these young folks? You see these young fellas over here on this front row. I saw these young fellas up here doing this pick and I saw these little ones in the choir. I thought somebody better hold the ground. Somebody better stay with God. Somebody better walk with God. Why? There's somebody coming after. How are they going to know the way if we don't leave them away? You better leave them some markings. You better walk with God. They better be able to say, I remember grandpa. I remember grandpa. I remember him living for God. I was in Caldwell County, North Carolina preaching. I have a friend up there. He, he, he loves to go soul winning and he always does it in an unusual way. Most of the time we get in trouble. So one day I said, what are we going to do? He said, we're going up to the college and we're going to soul win on the college campus. I said, uh, okay, and then I waited for the other shoe to drop because I knew there's more. He said, there is one problem. I said, yeah, I knew there would be. What is it? He said, it's against the law. I said, that's a problem. He said, well, I've been reading the handbook. It's against the law to solicit, but it's not against the law to take a survey. So we went to the Ben Franklin store, five and dime back then. We got us two clipboards, some paper and pens, and we wrote us out a 10-question survey. The first question was, is there a God? The second question is, who, is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Who is Jesus? Why did he die? How can I go to heaven and miss hell? Those were our kind of questions. So we drove on to the campus, and we got out, and the security came up. I was standing behind Brother Horace because it's his idea. They said, what are you fellas doing here? We said, we're here to take a survey. We showed them our clipboards. They said, go ahead. We went all over that community college talking to people about, excuse me, taking a survey. <laughs> and we went down in this little concession deal, a cafeteria, and 
Brother Horace is talking to these two fellas over here and there's a young woman sitting at a table by herself and I laid my, I laid my clipboard down where she could see my questions and I said, young woman, I'm taking a survey. Can I ask you some questions? She said, sure. I said, is there a God? She said, I don't know. I said, is there a heaven? She said, maybe. I said, is there a hell? Definitely not. I said, who is Jesus? And when I said Jesus, she said, hold it. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you're asking me questions about Christianity, aren't you? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. Her face softened up. Here's what she said. She said, I don't know about this Christian thing, but if there ever was such a thing as a Christian, my granny was a Christian. I said, what do you mean? She said, I remember the little girl going to granny's house and she'd be on her bed, on her knees beside her bed praying. She said, she'd be praying for me. So I remember granny walking through the house singing. She called them Christian songs. She knew some of the words. Now I'm gonna tell you something about that young lady. I, I talked to her about the Lord. I, did, I wasn't all able to lead her to the Lord that day. But I got a sneaking suspicion she won't end up going to hell because I don't think she can get past granny's testimony. I think sooner or later because she can't forget what granny was and how granny lived. And I thought to myself, I've got a grandson now, three and a half years old. You know what I want to be? I want to remember he's coming along behind. I want to walk in such a way that he'll remember that grandpa, papa's what he calls me that Papa loved Jesus. You know, back in the book of Joshua, God told Joshua to take out all of the inhabitants of the land. He wanted to remove them, but when they wouldn't be removed, he said, slay them. He said, don't, don't let them live. And he told Joshua that there were Anakims in the land, giants. And the Bible tells us in Joshua, I believe it's chapter 11 and verse 22, that Joshua had been fighting for five long years. And then it says this, and there were none of the Anakims left in the land, save in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. Three places that Joshua did not defeat the enemy. Let me ask you a question. What do you think of, or who do you think of when you think of Gaza? I think of Samson, defeated, his hair cut off, made a laughing stock. That's what happened in Gaza. What do you think of, or who do you think of when you think of Gath? I think of Goliath, standing out before the children of Israel and mocking the God of Israel. What do you think of, or who do you think of when you think of Ashdod? When Nehemiah came back after the captivity, he found that boys of Israel had married, taken wives of Ashdod. And here's what it said. It said the children spake half in the language of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language. So here's what you've got. Three places where Joshua didn't win the battle he should have won. Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. I wrote down... I wrote down somewhere here, 230 years later, we have Samson defeated in Gaza. 387 years we have, we have uh, Gath and Goliath. And 1,016 years later, we have the problems in Nehemiah. And where did all of those problems come from? Joshua didn't finish the job. Amen. Now you listen to me, mama and daddy, grandma and grandpa. I don't want my children and my grandchildren to fight battles I should have won. 
I don't want there to be leftovers from my life, places I should have said yes, places I should have been obedient, but I didn't obey God, and now those that come after are fighting battles that should have already been won. My friend, Brother Mike Poole, his daddy, Pop Poole, he was a drunkard. He got saved, got born again. One day he came home from church he and his wife and the preacher had been preaching on tithing. They had no idea about tithing. Preacher said, you ought to tithe. So Brother Mike's dad, Pop, was all I ever knew him as. Pop said to his wife, he said, honey, we're going to tithe. The preacher said, we ought to tithe. She said, how are we going to do it? He said, here's what we're going to do. Going to take 10% right off the top. Give it to God. He said, then we're going to pay our bills. And then if we have anything left, we'll buy food. They lived that way until Pop went home. Now here's what Brother Mike Poole, pastors of Bible Baptist Church, right outside of Gary, Indiana, here's what he said. He said, I never battled over tithing. You know why? Daddy already fought that battle. And I didn't have to fight it. Oh, dear friend, are you leaving battles for your children to fight? Because you won't fight them? Somebody's coming along behind you. Somebody's coming along after. Let's take the high ground and hold it. Easier to hold ground than to take it. Let's live for God. Let's, let's have a prayer life. Let's know our Bible. Let's love souls. Let's be faithful. Let's teach our children there's somebody coming after. Let me ask you this question. What kind of soldier are you? What kind of soldier are you? Are you the kind of soldier that leaves a path for the soldiers that are coming along behind? My father-in-law, he's 84 years old. He used to travel with us. We would go around, we'd sing and preach like we do now. My father-in-law and my two little girls, Rachel and Bethany, invitation time would come. You know what they'd do? They'd go get Grandpa. Take him by, because I was usually up in the platform doing the invitation, they'd go get Grandpa by the hand, say, Grandpa, come and pray. Papa's what they called him. They said, Papa, come pray with us. They learned about the altar from an old soldier. I want to be an old soldier. I want to leave something for them that are coming back. I want to, leave, I want to be a soldier faithful because of them that have gone before, because of them that are beside me, and because of them that are coming behind me. What kind of soldier are you? I want you to bow your heads a moment. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Let's not leave battles for others to fight. You know, it might be this morning you're here and you're unsaved. Jesus won the battle at Calvary. He shed his blood. He paid your sin debt. He paid your sin debt. And, and because of what he did at Calvary, you can go to heaven. You can have your sins forgiven. You can be saved. Your past can be wiped clean. You can get a brand new start. The Bible said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You can start again. You can have a fresh start, a clean slate. Things washed away, wiped away. <laughs> never to be remembered against you anymore. God will never bring it up again because Jesus washed it away at the blood of Calvary. Maybe this morning our heads are bowed. You say, preacher, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that I've ever trusted Christ. 
I do need a fresh start. I do need my sins forgiven. Would you please remember me when you pray? Would you lift your hand and let me see it and I'll pray for you. I won't come and get you or call your name or anything, but I'll pray for you. Please pray for me, preacher. I don't know that I've ever been saved. God bless you, young man. Somebody else, I'd like to be saved. Anybody else this morning? Now, Father, you saw this young hand that went up. I pray for this young man that he'll come and trust you today. If he knows he's a sinner, and will take his place before you as a sinner and believe on the Lord Jesus as his Savior, I believe you'll save him today. So I pray you'd help him to understand and I pray he'll yield himself, be obedient to you today. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. I know, Lord, you've never turned anybody away and you won't start this morning. So help us. And then help your people today, Lord, that we'll be good soldiers. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet a moment. We're standing. While our brother leads us, whatever they're going to sing, you come. Some have come already, you come this morning.